You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. There's a company called Air Hunters, not Hair Hunters, Air Hunters, and they are employed by folks who are seeking to find people that have inherited obscene amounts of money. It's true, folks. This company claims that they have handled more than $100 million in assets. That's a huge amount of money. But it's a small percentage when compared to the unclaimed inheritances worldwide. According to the New York Times, listen to this. $47.1 billion worth of unclaimed inheritances worldwide since 2017. $47.1 billion. People aren't claiming their inheritance. They don't know that they've inherited an estate or, or millions of dollars. Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't that be a nice surprise? You know? But there's so many scams going on. I mean, you could have gotten one of those emails and it been true. But you thought, that's a scam. There's no way that I'm inheriting a million dollars or a castle over in England. But it might have been true, and you might have missed out on an opportunity. What a difference it would make in our lives if we knew we had such riches waiting on us, and yet we never received those riches. You know, that's the message that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across in today's lesson. God has abundant gifts. I mean, he has a lot of gifts. He's waiting to give these gifts to his children. The apostle Paul tells us that we are greatly blessed, blessed beyond measure. Every one of you in here today watching online outside, you are blessed beyond measure, and you know it's true. But have you thanked God for your blessings today? If you could only have what you thank God for today, what would you have left? Yeah. Isn't that a good question? It is a good question. I ask it quite often because it's so easy to take God for granted and to take our blessings for granted and to take our family for granted and to take our spouses for granted and the people that pour life into us and yet very rarely do we even acknowledge them or pray for them. What's wrong with that? Hmm. So maybe that'll change after you hear the message today. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're greatly blessed. And he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Note those words, every spiritual blessing. God is love. The essence of God is love. I'm going to preach about that next week, along with the future church. Love is generous. Not just part of the time, but all the time. Love is always generous. So by his very nature, God is abundantly generous, always willing to give. He doesn't hold back his spiritual blessings from his children. The power, the authority, the hope, the love, the joy, the peace, the love of God are available to all of God's children. So let me ask this. Why do so many Christians struggle with anxiety and envy and fear and greed and hopelessness? Could it be? Because we don't understand the truth and the value of the spiritual blessings we've been given. 
It's something to think about. If we find ourselves spinning our wheels, always filled with anxiety, always filled with greed, envy, fear, and hopelessness, could it be that we're operating under our own devices, operating in our flesh? I think so. Because the more we are in touch and in tune with God's Spirit and His grace, and we're communicating with Him, praising Him, thanking Him, thanking Him for the gifts that He's given us, for the people He's placed in our lives, if we have that attitude of gratitude 24-7, then there's no time for the hopelessness and the anxiety and the fear. But what I'm afraid of, and the only thing I'm afraid of, is that we've allowed the world to consume us in a way that God is no longer priority. I mean, the one who created us, molded us, shaped us, breathed breath into our life, the reason we're here today, and we would dare to exclude him at any point in our lives, any moment of the day. We should continually be praising and worshiping the living God because that's why we were created. Worship is a lifestyle, folks. It's not a Sunday morning thing or when I turn on the fish and I listen to a song, oh, I'm worshiping the Lord. Keep your hands on the wheel, please. All right? It's more than that. It's a lifestyle. We are blessed that we've been chosen. You no matter your age, every one of you, you've been chosen. Paul writes to the Ephesians, reminding them God has blessed them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, the words in Christ appears 10 times in the book of Ephesians. Paul wants us to realize that Jesus did the work for us. Yes, he went the work for us, y'all. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough to deserve it. Out of his love for us, Jesus sacrificed his own life to guarantee us all the spiritual blessings that flow from his relationship with God. So when we read that Christ, in Christ, we become children of God, it means that our identity and inheritance are sealed by the sacrificial, unconditional love of Christ. So... What does it mean that we are chosen in Christ? If you are chosen, that means you are valued. You know what it feels like to get picked on the team? Jacob, SJ, Lizzie back there. You know what it feels like when you're picked to play on the team? Oh, I want, I want Jacob to be on my team. I want Lizzie to be on my team. I want Pastor Stephen to be on my team. He's really slow and lethargic, but he can shoot the three. You know what it feels like? You seen that commercial with Charles Barkley? He gets picked by the little kids. He says, yes, I still got it. I got picked. I was chosen. It's special, isn't it? You know, when you see that list from the musical or the, the audition, and you see the list and your name's on the list. I was chosen. I made it. Even if you do sit at the bench the whole season, you made it. Right? To be chosen. That's special. If you are chosen, you're valued. It means you're loved. It means God has a purpose for you. Do you know that Doug and I were chosen? We were chosen to be the pastors of this amazing faith community we know as Misty Creek Community Church. 
It's hard to express to you what it feels like to be chosen, to be wanted, to be needed. What does that feel like to you? To be chosen, to be wanted, to be picked, to be needed. You got the job. You made the team. Think about that. Special, isn't it? Really special. You don't choose a painting unless you plan to display and enjoy it, right? You've got paintings in your home that you are so proud of that tell a story, especially for something from a, a trip that you went on with your family, a portrait of some sorts. Maybe it's a painting of your dog. Some of you have those, don't you? Fancy, nice oil paintings. Raise your hand if you got one. We got one. We just got it. Yep. It's right by the door. Reminds us of the dog where the dog used to come in the door right there. It's right there. I'm still acting like the dog's alive because I keep looking at the picture. But that's okay because it's precious. It means something to me. And you have pictures like that, don't you? You don't choose a spouse unless you plan to cherish and love that person. You can't imagine spending your life without them. When I'm counseling couples for premarital counseling, preparing them for a wedding, and I've got two coming up, I ask them that question. Can you imagine your life without him in it or her in it? And if they pause and hesitate for any moment of time, I realize we need to have a couple of more sessions. But if the answer right off the bat is, I cannot imagine my life without her, I can't. I don't know what I would do. She's everything to me. He's my heartbeat. That leads me to believe that God has brought them together. And we can work on that and expound that to make it something sacred and special and anointed that will last. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now consider that God has chose you and destined you for adoption as his child before he created the world. That's scriptural, ladies and gentlemen. He adopted you, destined you before the creation of the world. You were on God's mind before the creation of the world. Once we understand this truth, how can we doubt God's love for us or God's plan for us? I want to tell you a story, and I want you to listen closely to this story. In November 1984, a young man named Patrick was doing his laundry. In the dormitory at St. Saint San Francisco, not St. Francis, St. San Francisco State University. It was late at night, and Patrick was spooked by a sound coming from a cardboard box in the corner of the laundry room. He walked over and peeked inside the box, and in the box was a baby. Right between the washer and the dryer, there's a box, and there's a baby, and there's a laundry detergent, and the fabric softener, and then there's a baby. Can you imagine a college student, what that would be like? There's a baby there. And so he picks up the baby girl that's been abandoned in the laundry room. The baby's temperature is dropping. The baby is turning blue. So he rushes to grab the first student he saw, and it just so happened to be a nursing student named Esther Rager, and ask her for help. Providentially, Rager had just completed a course in infant care. She cared for the baby until the paramedics arrived. The hospital staff named the newborn baby Jane Doe. 
When the story hit the news outlets, numerous people from all around the country offered to adopt her. Among those who contacted child services were Sam and Helen Sobol. Helen says that the moment she saw baby Jane's picture in the papers, she said to herself, this is our baby. So the Sobels adopted her and changed her name to Jillian. They never hid the fact that she was adopted. But they did not tell her the circumstances of her birth until she turned 16. They were concerned that Jillian might be upset at her abandonment. But when Jillian recalls this conversation, she remembers the overwhelming feeling of being special and loved. It didn't matter how her life started out. All that mattered was that she had been chosen and adopted. That's what defined her life. More than 20 years later, Jillian Sobel entered San Francisco State University where she had been abandoned, this time as a student. She washed her clothes in that same laundry room, folks. Probably the same washer and the dryer for anything like the college I went to. She graduated in 2015 with a degree in hospitality and tourism management. How could you ever doubt, if you're watching today, how could you ever doubt a good God? How? It's God's great plan that there are no grandchildren, no stepchildren, there are no illegitimate children, because each of us is a child of God in Christ. And that includes the crackhead under the bridge on 14th Street. Is a child of God, chosen by God, on equal ground as you are in God's eyes. Chosen. We are set free, folks. We are chosen. Let that truth define you. There's great joy in a feeling of chosenness. I looked that up, and it's not even in Webster's Dictionary, but I said, I'm going to use that word anyway. Chosenness. You know who Charles Spurgeon is? He's one of the most popular and influential preachers in England in the 1800s. My wife, Karen, loves to post his quotes. I'd like to paraphrase something that he said about this Bible passage. He said, when you are approaching heaven, how are you going to approach heaven? How are you going to do it? Woo! With swag. I made it. Yes. Yes. So when you are approaching heaven, you will read a sign on the outside gates. It will read this. Whosoever will may come. But when you turn around, you'll read on the other side, inside the gates, chosen in him from the foundation of the world. What a great thought. Whosoever will may come. But also... Chosen in him from the foundation of the world. We are blessed because we are chosen. We are blessed in the second place when we realize that our sins are forgiven. To encourage the Ephesians, Paul wrote, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You know, the wrongs we have done often are a primary source of our feelings of failure and unworthiness. We can do a hundred great things and do one wrong thing, and we focus on that one wrong thing. 
and it gives us feelings of failure and unworthiness. And folks, that's just the way it is. That's human nature. We do that. I could stand out those doors, and every one of you could say, what a wonderful service, all glory to God, what an amazing message, dynamic worship. But one person could say, I didn't like it. That wasn't good. I don't agree. And that's the one person that would inhabit my thought and Doug's thoughts, not just for a day, probably all week, probably all month, to be honest with you. It's just the way things are. You could go into work. Everybody's telling you you're doing a fabulous job. And there could be that one person, because they're probably jealous, probably don't like that you're doing a fabulous job, that will say something that will speak death over you and cause you to be concerned, even worry about what they think about you all day long, all week, all month. Is there a remedy for that? I can preach all day and tell you all sorts of things. You're still going to do that. I'm still going to do that. That's just part of it. But I'm going to share some more with you to help us get over that hump of letting one person or two people have so much power over us. Because the only one that should have power over us is God. And he's chosen us. And if we're walking in step with him and his will and seeking his guidance and his Holy Spirit, then what others think about us really doesn't matter that much. Maybe not at all. If we're pleasing him and following him, then I believe that things will fall into place for us. Not perfectly. Jesus never said it would be perfect, that life would just be, woo! He never said that. There would be disappointment. There would be pain. But to always be reminded that you were chosen before the creation of the world to succeed and to prosper and to have abundant life and not to fail. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jeremiah 29, 11, paraphrase. In Christ, we are forgiven. That's what this represents, Holy Communion. We are forgiven and we're given another chance and another chance and another chance. The question is, Will we receive that forgiveness? Will we receive that second chance, that third chance, that fifth chance? Or will we deny it because we don't think we need another chance? Or we think we're better than that chance? Or maybe we don't think we're good enough, that we're not worthy of receiving forgiveness or God's love. I hope you don't think of yourself that much, <laughs> really. Because God's love and His power and his abundance outweigh any of your thoughts or feelings about your inadequacies. Because he helps you rise out of the pit, the miry clay of your suffering and your sorrow and your complaining to keep your eyes fixed and focused on him rather than that stuff. The stuff really doesn't matter. What matters is how you respond to the stuff in Jesus' name. Someone wrote in Reader's Digest recently, telling about a problem that her mother was having. A medical billing service had just bought an 800 number that was identical to her mother's number. Her mother began getting dozens of calls every day from people wanting to discuss their bills from this medical billing service. She got fed up with the calls, as you can imagine. So she called the medical billing service and asked them to change their number. They responded that she should change her number, even though she had had the same number for over 20 years. So the woman said, Fine. From now on, I'm going to tell everyone who calls that their bill is paid in full. The medical billing company got a new number the next day. <laughs> Do you understand the freedom and joy that comes from hearing that your debts have been paid 
in full, all your failures and imperfections and battles deep down in your soul that separate you from God, all those have been wiped away. All of them. You're a new creation in Christ. You're not that same old person that was back here. You're a new person. You've stepped into the light. You are in the marvelous light. You are children of the light. You're children of the resurrected king. You have the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Why would you let anything back here drag you down? My hope for you is that thing that's in your face all the time that keeps you from reaching your full potential eventually moves down here. And at some point, when you see the goodness of God and know that he's called you by name, that you're a child of God, that you were chosen, that thing that was here, that maybe is here, is way back here to the point that you don't even see it anymore because God put your eyes here, not here. Okay? Sometimes it's okay to look back because you can learn from that, but when you stay looking back, you know, it's just like when we play basketball. You'll see Chris Paul. He plays for the Phoenix Suns. On defense, after they made a basket on defense, he'll go down the court like this backwards. Okay, he's real fast at doing that. But he wouldn't play the entire game doing that the whole time. Wouldn't do him any good because he'd be out of bounds. He wouldn't do that in circle and go back around like this because you don't dribble the ball backwards like that unless you play for the Harlem Globetrotters, which are trying to be an NBA team, by the way. That would be hilarious. I think the ratings would skyrocket, don't you? But we don't spend our time going backwards. It does us no good to do that. We, we move forward. And every now and then, we may look back just to see where we've come from and what we've learned from whatever it was that was paralyzing us so long. The Apostle Paul serves as a powerful example of the joy and freedom found in forgiveness. Listen to this. This is what he wrote. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let that sink in for just a minute. There is power in the word of God, folks. Paul once persecuted the church. Through the grace of God, he was forgiven and given another chance. With his new life, Paul set forth proclaiming the message of salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. And finally, we are blessed when we realize that we are not trapped by what has happened to us in that past. Many of us get stuck because we remember and relive old painful memories. There's a story about an old man who ran into a friend one day. He said, say, you, you look depressed. What are you thinking about? My future was the quick answer. What makes your future so hopeless? Just as quickly, he replied, my past. It is God who defines us, not we ourselves, not our friends and family. God defines us. Neither are we defined by our successes or our failures or our strengths and our weaknesses. God alone defines our life. And when God looks at us, he doesn't look at our past. <laughs> Other people do, don't they? Things like everybody else does. What kind of people are those? You know someone's heart is right when they look at you now and they look at who you can become and who you are becoming rather than looking at your past 
and maybe criticizing that past, their hearts, I'm going to be honest with you, are not where they need to be. You see, we preach truth here at Misty Creek, and sometimes truth, a lot of times, it can convict and even feel like your toes are being stepped on a little bit. That's a good thing, folks. It's okay. As they say in The Chosen, get used to different, because it is different here. Not always going to make you feel like, hey, you know, give you these five steps or these six steps to live a successful life. There's only one book, one. John Wesley used to say this. There's only one book that leads to heaven. There's only one book that truly represents love and eternity and forgiveness, and that's God's Word. Mm. God defines our life, and God looks at our possibilities, He looks at our potential. He looks at who we could be once we find life in Christ. He sees what we can be. A wrong turn doesn't mean that your lives are over. For many folks, that's the case. But it doesn't mean that. For some of us, last year was the worst year ever. Many people lost jobs. Many were laid off. Their income was cut. Many found themselves having to cope with more stress. Others experienced death in their families, which left them hurting and grieving. Here's what Christ says to us, regardless of our circumstances. New beginnings are possible, always possible. In fact, this very time is a time of new beginning. You spent your life, maybe you have, maybe you've spent your life, let's say it that way, living in anxiety and envy, and disappointment. You may have let your family, your culture, or your past define you. God wants you to know you have nothing to fear. You've been chosen. You have been forgiven. You're no longer trapped by what has happened to you in the past. You are, of all peoples, blessed. Let this be the day that you find your identity, your purpose, and your future in Christ. As we celebrate Holy Communion today, may we remember that His body was broken because of us. His blood was shed because of us. His grace is greater than our sin. Any sin. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are a child of God. And when Jesus was with his disciples, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion, he said to them, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat as often as you can in remembrance of me. And he broke that bread. And he shared it with his closest friends for the last three years. He had laughed and cried with them. They were his buddies. 
You know what a buddy is? SJ's my buddy. Closer than a brother. You'd do anything for him. Bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, common, ordinary people. But because of Jesus, they became extraordinary. And they not only did the things that he did, but they did even greater things because he gave them the greatest gift, the essence of God, his Holy Spirit. Began that night, gathered around that table, what seemed bewildering to them to hear words like, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. His body's going to be broken. His blood's going to be shed. To hear that kind of stuff from their teacher, their, their rabbi, their Savior, the one they call the Messiah, that had to be gut-wrenching to them. But yet he reminded them that he was never going to leave them nor forsake them. That they would live forever. That he was going to live forever. And that his kingdom would come and redeem the entire world. And all this ask in return to the world is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the missing element to the formula, folks, for the world to surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ, to make him their Savior and their King of Kings. If our world would do that, there would be no more suffering, no more pain, no more starvation. We would live in the kingdom. And the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is present. Jesus continued at that supper. And he said, my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink as often as you can in remembrance of me. You see, his blood represented a new covenant. He would be the sacrificial lamb that would heal the entire world, would renew us and set us free. So when you come to the table today, this is not just a rote sacrament routine, we are literally partaking of the blood and body of Christ. The real presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit is here. And we, when we feed on the food and drink of the Holy Spirit, we're not the same. We're transformed. When you walk into these doors, we don't want you to be the same. We want you to be transformed. We don't want you to be like Doug or like me. We want you to be like Jesus. And when we partake of the fruit of the vine and the bread of life, we're in essence tasting his essence and recalling and remembering what he's done on our behalf, that he did suffer, bleed, and die on that cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins but also an intimate connection with our Abba, with our Daddy, with our Father, God Almighty. That's who we come to worship today and adore and praise. Let us pray. Almighty and heavenly God, we ask that your presence now come upon this bread and upon this juice, that they would be the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that your presence would come upon the worshipers here today and those gathering outside and those online, 
that your spirit would come upon us and help us to be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, sent forth to serve Christ and to tell others about his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Lord, we ask you to forgive us when we fall short of who you created us to be, when we take our eyes off of you, and when we allow sin to creep into our lives. Forgive us. Forgive us and make us whole. Make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his mighty name. And all God's children said, amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.